Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today is the fourth part in the teaching series, The Interior Life. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, Archbishop Foley Beach. In 1983, Gordon McDonald wrote about the sinkhole syndrome. We've all seen pictures of sinkholes, and basically what he described it was, uh, this cave-in of some kind of landmass, and he said basically what happens is underneath that there's usually a cavity of water, and during drought times the water moves back, evaporates, recedes, and there's left this big hole, and the pressure from above then caves in, and we have a sinkhole. Well, that is a wonderful description of what happens to too many of our lives. This morning is the fourth in a series of sermons in which we've been sharing about the interior life. We've called it the interior life maintenance of the inner man. And I really believe that God wants us to pay attention to the interior life, to maintain it, to nurture it, to heal it, to have balance. Because if we will do that, then we can be his people in the world and be his vessels of light. We've said that we were created as triune beings. Just as God is Trinitarian, so are we. Just as God is three in one, so are we. We said that we were body, soul, and spirit. Our body is basically what you see here, the physical makeup. And, and sadly, most of us have learned to make our decisions and, and all the aspects of the soul is based upon the body, what I hear, what I see, what I think what I touch, what I feel, what I taste, the body. But then there's the soul aspect of a person. And the soul, we said, was made up of the mind, our capacity to think and reason. Made up of the will, our capacity to choose. Made up of the emotions, our capacity to feel. Made up of the conscience, our capacity to know right and know wrong. And then there's the spirit part of us. And the Spirit's that part of us that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's made alive. The Spirit is made alive and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells that place. It's that place where we're able to hear God and know God and commune with Him, have fellowship with Him. Our inner person is all that relates to our soul and our spirit. It's the part of me that's private, not public. No one sees or knows but me and the Lord. It involves what happens between my ears and what flows from my heart. The inner person is the real me, my person. Now, so far in this series, we've looked at different aspects of the soul, the mind and how we need to exercise our mind, the will and how we need to develop the power of the will, what I call will power. So then, if we develop the willpower within us, we can then choose to do the will of God. This morning we will examine the emotional part of our beings. I want to encourage us to move to emotional maturity. Now I must say up front that when you start talking about the emotional life, it's a very complex issue. And I have attempted to try to simplify this so that we can all understand it and have something to grapple with. We are emotional beings. We're emotional. It's the way God has made us. We're made in His image, and He is emotional. God so loved the world. God gets angry at sin. 
God hates divorce. We've heard these scriptures. We know that Jesus wept. Remember in John eleven thirty five 35, when he was at the grave of Lazarus, he wept. We know that Jesus got angry in Matthew 21, 12, when he was clearing the temple because they were using this space for worship in a wrong way. In Luke 22, verse 40, we see Jesus gets anxious when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, the anxiety is so heavy upon him, he's dripping drops of blood. In Luke 12, 34, we're told that Jesus had compassion when he was looking out over the city of Jerusalem and yearning that they would follow God. We are created in the image of God, and God is emotional. So are we. Secondly, we don't all have the same emotional makeup. Now, there are varieties of studies and illustrations about this, but just one simple one. Now, some people are introverts. And some people are extroverts. Introverts, well, you like being around people, maybe, but usually not. And extroverts, I mean, people are your livelihood. Introverts, you need a lot of downtime to, to renew and recover. Extroverts, you don't need any use. And then there's all the varieties in between. Well, that's just one simple illustration. Not everyone has the same emotional makeup. Anyone who's married knows this, right? <laughs> Third, emotions are not good or bad. But how we express our emotions determines what affects us or others for good or for bad. Our emotions in themselves are not good or bad. God has made us with emotions. Our emotions aren't the problem. This is an incredible part of the human personality, enabling us to feel, to feel love, to feel joy, to feel happiness, to feel fear or loneliness or feel discouragement or to feel courage or to feel anger. How we express our emotions is what can hurt us or hurt other people. Let's take a moment and look at anger. Anger is not a bad emotion in itself. What's anger supposed to do? Why did God give us anger? Well, think a minute. What is anger all about? What, do you, what happens when you get angry? You want to do something. Act. You want to do something or say something. Anger motivates us to act, to do something. The problem comes when we act out of anger in hurtful ways, either to others or to ourselves. We hurt others when we talk or we act in destructive ways because we're angry. We hurt ourselves when we hold our anger in and we don't express it. It turns into depression. That's the literal definition of depression is anger turned inward. It's like taking a knife and turning it right inside. Emotion the emotion of anger is not the problem. It's how we use our anger. A couple of scriptures from the Bible about anger. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 19, 11, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great anger shall bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you only have to do it again. In Ephesians 4.26, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
James 1.19, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So it's not the emotions which are good or bad, but how we express our emotions. Whether it's a feeling of anger or a feeling of anxiety or jealousy or hatred or resentment or bitterness, when we express them wrongly, it's sin. And we sin not only against the Lord, but against our neighbor or our spouse or our parents or our children or our employees. Too often, good Christian people take out their frustrations on innocent folks who just happen to be in his or her way. And it's sin. James 4.17, the apostle writes, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. When we act out of our hurt, we're not going to respond in the Holy Spirit to others. We end up responding in the flesh and we end up inflicting our hurt on them. And it's sin. A fourth problem is a health problem. A health problem. When we ignore or wrongly express our emotions, we pay the price with health problems. It affects your body. So many of our illnesses are a result of not expressing our anger correctly. Or we have anxiety and worry, or loneliness, or emptiness, or bitterness. And all of these work on our bodies and create environments where disease can enter in. Ever thought about the word disease? Dis-ease? A fifth problem is a spiritual problem. When we sin with our emotions, it interferes with our relationship with God and it chokes the spiritual life. You may be oblivious to it. You may be so out of touch with your own emotions you don't realize it. But when you pour your venom out on someone else or you're jealous about someone else or whatever, if you're feeling insecure, whatever it might be, it squeezes the vitality out of your relationship with God. Not only that, your ability to be a vessel and a light for him in our world is diminished. It's time to grow up. Too many of us are stuck as emotional babies or emotional toddlers or emotional adolescents. We need to grow into maturity. Why is this important? Because your inner life is affected by your emotions. Because your body is affected by your emotions. And your capacity to grow spiritually in the Lord is affected by your emotions. So I, don't, I want to offer you some suggestions. These are uh, just some things to work on. And they're not really meant to be uh, uh, chronological, I mean, do one, two, three, four. Really what I'd love for you to do is if you could just take one of these and start working on it, you'll find help in your emotional life. But the first one is important. First, commit to express your feelings in a godly manner. Commit to express your feelings in a godly manner. Make a commitment. You have to really want to work on your emotional house. To get your emotional house in order, it takes hard work. It takes commitment. Ephesians 4.31, the apostle writes, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, 
brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then Jesus asked, was asked what the greatest commandment was in Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. That's an emotion too. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. God calls you and me to express our emotions in a godly manner and to put away those things which are not of Jesus Christ. But it takes commitment. It's hard work. Secondly, nail your past hurts and wounds to the cross. Nail your past hurts and wounds to the cross. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, if I have been crucified with Christ, then I'm dead. Those hurts and wounds inflicted on me, either intentionally or unintentionally by others, can be nailed to the cross. I'm dead. It's Christ who now lives within me. I am dead. I know I was left out, but I put that on the cross with Jesus. I know he hurt me, but I put that on the cross with Jesus. I know so-and-so stole from me. But I put those feelings of violation on the cross with Jesus. I know my dad abandoned me, but I put those feelings of pain on the cross with Jesus. Whatever it is, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. A third item ask God for inner healing. You may want to ask for a counselor for assistance. To move toward emotional maturity, sometimes we need to ask God for inner healing. Many times we need it. We need Jesus to come to us and to touch those places of deep hurt within. Now, when you ask him, you need to ask specifically. Just don't say, Lord, give me inner healing. Lord, I need you to heal such and such when such and such happened and go back to it with him. This can be done through prayer or through prayer ministries or sharing with a Christian friend or going to a good counselor. I am a witness of the incredible power of Jesus Christ to heal damaged emotions and to heal the inner person. And if he can do it in my life, he can do it in your life. James 5, verse 16, the Apostle James writes, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God desires to heal you. A fourth thing, and this is where it starts to get a little interesting, is understand your generational patterns. Understand your generational patterns. As part of one of the Ten Commandments, the Lord says in Exodus 20, verse 5, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. We oftentimes have family patterns which we then project on those we love. 
And they're passed from generation to generation. And most of the time, we don't even know it. That is, we bring into our families the emotional makeup of our family of origin. I often describe it as like this magic hat is put on you when you get married or when you have children. And you've been emotionally programmed. You don't think about it. It's not intellectual. It's something that you just do. How you treat your spouse. What you expect of your spouse. How you treat your children. What you say to your children. Those of you with children, do you ever hear your father or your mother speaking through you to your kids? Sure you do, if you're paying attention. We don't think about it. It just comes out, right? It's on an emotional level. The key is to pay attention and be aware of the patterns for good or for bad, which we're bringing into our families. That way we can change the bad ones when we're aware of it. Another way this happens to people, or the way people deal with this, another example of this, would be how people project emotions upon their minister or their pastor for good or for bad. It's the same kind of process that goes on. I had a conversation with someone a few years ago who had a very difficult time trusting me. And as it turned out, as I talked to him, I said, what have I done to you? Why, why, why are you having a difficult time trusting me? And I kept asking and asking. Well, it, it turns out that this guy had been to a church where his pastor had lied to him. His pastor had treated him badly and actually run him out of the church. Those hurts hadn't healed in this guy. And he was projecting it on me because I'm all of a sudden in the pastor role. I had to share with him that I was not his former pastor. I'm Foley. When I was a youth pastor, I trained a lot of adults to minister with teenagers And I began to notice a pattern with these leaders, a pattern which I think also happens with many parents of teenagers. If there were unresolved issues from a person's teen years, they began to surface as that person began to hang out with teenagers. And they'd manifest themselves in the adult's relationship with those teens. Now, these were godly people. Just one example. Someone would say, well, I just don't like so-and-so. Well, as it turns out, so-and-so was a jock. And when this leader was in high school, he didn't like the football players because they always made fun of him and the group he hung around with. And those hurts hadn't been healed. He only buried them. So all of a sudden, he's hanging around a couple of jocks, and he doesn't like them. His emotional hurts were being projected onto some unsuspecting and undeserving kid. Understand your generational patterns. Seek to understand what you're bringing into your family relationships and to other relationships. A fifth thing. This is where it gets tough. Take responsibility for your own emotions. Stop blaming others. Take responsibility for your own emotions. Stop blaming others. The devil didn't make you do it. You did. God didn't make you do it. You did. Your mama didn't make you feel anxious about doing that. You did. Your daddy didn't make you express your anger by yelling at your kids. You did. Grow up emotionally and take responsibility for your emotions. You have the ability to control how you express them. It's the way God has made you. Stop blaming others. 
If something makes you angry, you're choosing to let it make you angry. Accept the responsibility. You're choosing to be angry. If something makes you worry, you're choosing to worry about it. Accept responsibility that you're the one choosing to worry. If something makes you doubt God, you're choosing to doubt God. Accept that responsibility. If something makes you not want to trust the Lord, you're choosing not to trust Him. Accept responsibility and stop putting it off on other people. Stop blaming others. Number six, intentionally express your emotions with appropriate words. It's crucial that we express our emotions. And one of the best ways to do that is with appropriate words. Whether it's love or resentment or peace or or envy, get it out with words. When you suppress them or repress them, you end up hurting yourself. And if the volcanoes ever uncork, someone else gets hurt. John Wilson has written, and this isn't in your notes, Emotions come wholly from within and have only the strength we allow them. As human beings, we enjoy the possession of an intellect. And it is the intellect, not the emotions, that must be the supreme guiding force of our lives if we are to know any level of happiness here on earth. Emotions are the color of life. We would be drab creatures indeed without them. But we must control the emotions or they will control us. He is so true. Express with appropriate words what you're feeling to others. Express it to God. Express it to the wall. Write it out. But express them. Oswald Chambers, the great missionary to Egypt, wrote, Every emotion must express itself. And if it is not expressed on the right level, it will react on a lower level. And the higher the emotion, the more degraded the level on which it will react. And then number seven, constantly remember God's presence is with you. What would happen if we really lived our lives as if God was with us? I mean, think about that a minute. If you really went through your day realizing and aware that God's presence was with you, He says He is. He promises it in Matthew 28, 20. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Remember, He's always with you. Always. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. Awordfromthelord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. 
On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.